This is the Press Play Podcast, brought to you by Real Resilience. Is this a podcast? It, it's a podcast. This will be um, our 18th episode, and I run Real Resilience, which supports tape machines. Lane. Uh, is he, Lane Betson. Ian. It's Ian Betson. It's spelt the Ian. Ian. It's spelt the Scottish way. I A I N. Though I'm not from Scotland, as you can probably tell. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> You're uh, in the UK somewhere. I guess. I'm from Brighton originally, which is completely the opposite end of uh, end of the UK, down on the south coast, where the English Channel. Next stop would be France. But I actually, I live in uh, in the Midlands, in Derby, um, ne- near Nottingham. You know, Sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've been out there. All right. Whereabouts? I played a club called uh, the Robin Hood. What in Nottingham? Yeah, they're all they're all called not Robin Hood or something in Nottingham. <laughs> they all all called something to do with Robin but Hood. The, oh yeah, we were on tour with an English group called the Big Town Playboys. Oh right, what genre is that? That's jump swing. Jump swing. I yeah, don't know. It had what... to be in the middle of the nineties. Oh right, what, what jump swing? I don't know what is what. Is, <laughs> sorry, what's jump swing? Like uh, Louis Prima would be oh. an example of that. That's Thomas Yearsley, owner of Thunderbird Analog Recording Studios in Oceanside, California, adding to my musical education. Now, he's an MCI owner with a 24 and 2-track as part of the kit list in his studio. This episode, and the next one of the Press Plays podcast, is dedicated to that brand. I put the word out on the Facebook groups that I wanted to talk MCI tape machines, and studio owners Thomas Yearsley and Graham Nystrom replied that they would be happy to hook up. Both Graham and Thomas are great speakers and passionate about their MCIs, so with so much material, only two episodes could do the subject of MCI in music recording justice. Press Play, the Real Resilience podcast, dedicated to all things reel-to-reel. Now I've got a client who sends MCIs to me, and it's while I was working on a, a JH110, I thought, yeah, you know, I, I like these machines, and this is why it would make a good podcast. So obviously, being an American brand, they were pretty much strong in the States, of course. But the one I worked on a couple of weeks ago, a 110, that, that was in the UK and has gone off to Italy. So, they, you know, they are in Europe. And I said they're nice machines and a nice approach. There's MCI machines in, in uh, South Africa, and South America, and they really uh, made this thing to run and be supported. Of course, regionally, they're very strong coming out of Florida. Through the Midwest, you'd see a lot of it, but they, they did great support overseas. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're nice, as I said, a, a nice mix of simple uh, design, but really sophisticated in their operation. And I, so I was really impressed with them. They're big. <laughs> You know, they are are big machines, but so be it. You know, that's uh, that's, that's what they were. Apart from MCI, we've been busy with other clients' machines. A variety of TIAC, Tascam, Tamberg, Sony and Revox have come through the door. And, of great interest, an ASC AS6000S. It's a two-track machine and not to be confused with the UK-based ASC company. That company modified the Revox PR99 to make it more friendly for broadcasters. You may have seen one. They had a lot of the control knobs removed and a new front panel fitted. But this ASC is the German-based one and made one hefty machine in the AS6000S. It's a two-track machine, as I said, in the same style as a Revox B77. It even uses the same PAPS motors but it's an interesting machine and well worth some attention. Our first two webinars have been well received and we are running a third with a fourth one planned. Number three is about the approach to fault 
Number three is about the approach to fault finding and will be on the 22nd of May, that's a Saturday, at 1500 BST, British Summertime. Booking is via the Eventbrite website, that's eventbrite.co.uk, E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot co.uk. Search for open wheel tank machine, fault finding and maintenance techniques when you get there. A bit of a mouthful, I know, but open wheel tape machines should find it. Alternatively, look on the Real Resilience website at www.realresilience.co.uk on the events and links page or on our Facebook page, Real Resilience, for the booking link. And on to the subject of this podcast, MCI. If you don't know MCI, let me tell you, like the country they come from, they are big. And they also have fans in the power supply. Is the machinery getting into into this interview? Want me to turn the machinery off? Uh, what have you got? Um, this sounds like a, a machine noise. It sounds a bit like AC or something like that. Is that what it is? Uh, there's a 24-track and, and a 2-track back here. I could just... Oh, that's better. Clearly what you're, you're talking about. I was going to ask you about your MCI machines, and you've just mentioned you've got two. Strange, though, we've had to switch them off because they're kind of humming away in the background. A question that always interests me is why someone is passionate about a particular brand of machine. So after Thomas switched off his JH24 and 110 machines, we got talking properly. Tell me about your background first and uh, how are you using MCI machines? Uh, I'm most known for being in a group called the Paladins. And uh, very early on, around 1981, uh, my buddy and I, Dave Gonzalez, uh, went to school for broadcasting. And always thinking that we would, we would be doing this. But uh, <clears throat> in the meantime, we had a fantastic musical career that took us all over the world. And uh, the records used to be very expensive to make. So you were in, if you had, a, if you had a sign, if you got a record deal, like we were signed to Alligator and then later 4 AD, there's a lot of money changing hands. And so the the studio environment was kind of premium um and it was all tape machines all expensive stuff so when i got more space in my career to to make records i started getting tape machines my first one was in 2005 it was a jh 110 8 track and uh, that was at my side for 10 years mm-hmm. then uh i wanted to move the pro the producing process along faster so i went 24 track and got a 24 bus board eight bus and 24 bus 24 track very fast production line for knocking out uh records and doing bands and events so it's always been mci has it for your machines uh very early on i had 80-8 and that was that was awesome and then uh i had a scully uh, two track but the eight track uh, MCI was awesome eight tracks and one inch mm. uh, at 30 is is a breathtaking sound. yeah yeah sounds sounds uh, it. The, yeah, the it clarity uh, uh, clarity and impact is just amazing before we started talking properly and we had to switch your MCI MCI's off you had it uh, you mentioned you got a 24 or 24 track uh-huh GH24 so you're still using that now yeah so, and you've still got the 110? Uh, 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 the 110 right next to it is a, a two-track. That's my mastering deck. Uh, the the, uh, the eight-track went to Texas. 
it went out to Austin with Dave Gonzalez. We, we kind of traded. Well, I bought his stuff is what happened. And I said, I'm going 24 track. And I bought this huge uh, board sound workshop from him. And uh, I bought his machine. And part in part of the trade, he, he, he wanted to go back down to, from 24 track to 8 to track. So you're, um, you're using these machines um, in the professional environment in your studio? In, in, you're running a studio now, are you? Yeah, right someplace. Tell me about it. Oh, it's it, oh, over 3,000 square feet, just a couple of blocks from the beach in Oceanside, California. What's it called? The Thunderbird Analog. Hmm. So you're analog end-to-end, are you? You've got your JH24, you've got your your 110. You said you were mastering to those, so you are end-to-end analog, are you? I, I can be, but uh, unless there's a lot of money for tape, uh, mm. I do editing on Cubase. And uh, I bounce it to Cubase and, and back it up. But if there's a band in, it's it's almost always from tape. And the bands like that, do they? They they like that analog sound. Oh yeah, they can. Sometimes they they tend to skip ahead, and I have to say, wait a minute, guys, I am still rewinding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they expect you just slide the uh, slide the mouse from one side of the screen to the other, and that's it. You're ready to roll again. <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a great great room. Um, it was an office building for a publishing conglomerate, and from this building. There were 17 newspapers in 12 states. So the big, really big cheese in communications was in this building. And uh, it was built in 1970. And it's loaded with skylights, high ceilings, atriums throughout the building, five of them. It's it's really kind of an elegant place. And uh, I would say our specialty is events. If we had a specialty, it's really a uh, good building to host people there's an entrance and uh so so band says well i we want to make a record and i said here's a way to do it it's going to be expensive but here's a way to do it. it get all your friends to to chip in at the door and throw kind of a live concert we do it that way and everybody has a good time and it takes some of the sting out of what it cost to produce a record yeah, that's, that's a good approach and they and they all go for the analog do they they all like that analog sound are you getting clients in through the door who know analog and have used it in the past or or you know, new bands to the scene who go we want to try tape we want to hear what that analog sounds like well usually they they by the time they're here they know what's going on with put out loads of records everybody's familiar with my records and my story it, we're, we're not doing too bad as a record company either here um LuxRecordsUSA.com is our website. L-U-X-R-E-C-O-R-D-S-U-S-A.com, and uh, we make records and we sell records. And we have a, we have an international reach. They're buying them down in uh, in Australia and all all over Europe. And uh, some of our artists are traveling even to Russia. And what genre is that? Most, mostly rock and roll. Straight ahead, rock and roll. Yeah, a little bit more vintage, I would say. Oh, there's this this area where I am is loaded with great blues musicians. I mean, just fantastic musicians and young players. A lot of young players out here. Uh, so it's an exciting time for me because I get to see these guys 
launch careers and take the path that I've taken so many years ago, way back into the early 80s. Find Real Resilience on the web at realresilience.co.uk and on our Facebook page, Real Resilience. As well as this podcast to promote Real Resilience, the real-to-real format in general and to offer our experience, we also have a YouTube channel. As well as all the past episodes of the Press Play podcast, you can find other real-based content too. The two past webinars are on there and the stats show that they are well received. Incidentally, as a thank you to those who book tickets for the webinars, I'm going to provide a free event to you in the coming year as a thank you for supporting me. Also, I'm creating as and when a series of short tell me, show me videos on tape machine issues and thoughts that I feel will be useful. To date, there is one on what the tape tension switch does. If your machine has a large reel, small reel switch, this video outlines its function. And the latest video is on why the reels may be snagging on the tape as they go around. It could be something as simple as a bent reel or possibly a more serious issue. Take a look to find out more. The channel is simple to find. Just go to YouTube and search for Real Resilience. Back to my conversation with Thomas Yearsley of Thunderbird Analog Studios. And the question that prompted this podcast. Going back to the MCIs, why do you love MCI so much? Well, I'm familiar with it. I've recorded on MCIs, you know, all over the place. But uh, there was there's a studio out in... Um, out in Lincoln, Nebraska, and it has the this exact same setup, uh, sound workshop board in a JH24. I stayed with MCI because my buddy Dave Gonzalez, he really liked that studio, and the guy that rent, runs it out there, Charlie. So I, was, I said, I'll build the same thing here, and anytime you want to make a record, we've, we've got things that you're very familiar with. The first one I found in the paper. You know, you didn't see a lot of stuff online or like that. You just kind of looked in the paper, and it it was way out in Hemet or something, and and the guys really didn't know what it was. So I brought it home, and it worked perfectly. And then I I had to move the studio, and I put the tape machine in and on a trailer and get it across town. And that's when some wires broke, and that's how I got in to know Steve Sadler, and he started to teach me all about these machines uh, through his subscription, and uh, I just know what's going on with them. So you maintain them yourself, do you? Yeah. Have they been fairly reliable? I mean, you know, they're yes. getting, let, let, let's not argue about this, they're getting on, what, 30, 35 years old now, those machines, are they? But they're still, they're still pretty reliable. Absolutely, yeah. Just like if they were new. Now the two, the two track over here, it, it's been kind of a beast. I kind of picked it up on a bargain, and it it was probably used in broadcasting, and uh, that's a hard environment. They're on all the time, and the people that operated this these machines most likely didn't own them. They just mm. had a job working on them, so they didn't care like as much as if they had purchased the thing full pop. Uh, what I found was uh, it w- was in the power supply. This thing had serious gremlins. It was burning up torque boards and logic, and and it had the red sockets. Ah, I've heard. Those were all. I've heard about all the replaced. Yeah, I've heard about the red. And, the myth of the red sockets is that is you uh, had you had experience of that, did you? That yeah. So the, it's the, been it's, it's been rebuilt all oh, way way down to the chassis, and it kept on blowing up the analog torque board. 
And uh, finally, I, as I asked Steve Sadler, hey, you think it could be the power supply? And he goes, it's probably not the power supply. But I ran out of ideas on it. So I went in there, and sure enough, there's these giant capacitors in there. Five of them, I think. And one, at least one was leaky. And uh, after I replaced those, the whole rest of the machine came to life. Yeah, so you want to keep the voltage steady and constant or troubles pop up in other parts of, of the machine. One thing I found about MCIs and working on them is that they're very, I would say, simple in their operation in terms of the boards on them and even the, the component layouts on the boards. But the sophistication and the options, um, the functions you've got on the machines is quite amazing, really, that you've got this um, simple approach to quite complex operation of the machines. I'm just thinking of the shuttle, the edit shuttle. It's so smooth on those machines. Yeah. And then when you look at the circuit boards themselves, you think, there's hardly anything on some of these boards, and yet it still does what it does. It's, it's a great approach, really. Yeah, and if you know one, you pretty much know them all. It, it, the deck, if, when you lift up the deck, is going to look a lot like any other MCI. And the electronics drawers, they're pretty simple. Choir is a really neat feature, and the, the in-out of calibration, if you want to take it out of calibration for any kind of weird effect, like a hotter bias, and you can take it out of calibration and then go right back to where the calibration is. Just in um, from, from a European perspective, I just think it's it's so easy to switch between NAB and IEC, which is those switches on the front, and that's it, job done. It is is really simple. You don't have to delve into the innards of the machine to swap it over. It's it's a, it's a nice approach. I got. I have a question for you or anybody out there. How do you get on the twenty fourth track? How do you get those cards out? The chassis of the machine is in the way. Is there a pin where I can pull the drawer out further? I can't say about that. I must admit to my level on the on the 24s, it, it hasn't got down that far. I've worked on a couple of them in the past. But um, yeah, I mean, put that out there. How do you get into that 24th card? Are you talking about from when you're pulling the, uh, pulling the drawers out effectively with all of those amps on there? That How do you get that 24th sort of row of uh, amps out? There's, there's something on that board that's in the way of being let, letting me get it out. It's not a cable snag, is it, behind? It's not, it's not that, because they have got um, cable extenders on them, haven't they, back to the, uh, back to the rest of the, uh, the guts of the machine? Let's see. <laughs> I don't know. Something we can put out to the, the listeners of Press Play. I, I really don't if, know. <laughs> let me see if I can describe it when I open it up. You can hear the, it, it rolling out, and it reaches its, it reaches its very end of what it'll do. Yeah. And uh, that, 24th, that whole 24th track is, is behind the edge of the machine. Uh-huh. Well, there we go. Is there Do, another if, pin that allows you to pull it out a little bit more, but I don't know. If somebody knows, I'd I'd <laughs> like to. I'd like that. Any other mysteries about these things? <laughs> yeah, we've got I the mystery of the red pretty... sockets. Now we've got the mystery of the twenty-fourth channel on the, the on the JH yeah, twenty-four. Uh -huh. <laughs> Thomas, it's been lovely to talk to you. I I thank you very much for well, your thank, for your input here. Thank you for the opportunity of uh, letting me talk about my stuff. I always like that. Press play. The Real Resilience Podcast, dedicated to all things reel-to-reel. -reel. Staying on the west coast of the United States for our next episode, we'll travel north by internet link to talk to Graham Nystrom, who is based in Astoria, Oregon, about the refurbishment of his MCI. 
My thanks again go to Thomas Yearsley of Thunderbird Analog Studios in Oceanside, California. I will put links to it on the Real Resilience website and on the YouTube channel and in the podcast notes. Until then, don't forget the webinar on Open Reel Tape Machine Fault Finding and Maintenance Techniques. That's on Saturday, the 22nd of May at 1500 BST, British Summertime. Best check a time zone application for your local time uh, so you don't want to miss it. MCI or EMI, Studa or Stellavox, ASC or Akai. We're all passionate about open wheel makes, models and marks. It's what makes our world go round. So until the next time we press play, let's keep it real. They had just done Jeff Beck's Rockabilly album. And so they had a bit of a profile and uh, we were touring the UK with them. That was we went right through the Midlands. Try to get a cup of coffee there. <laughs>